Well, why don't you open your Bibles with me, if you have them, to the New Testament, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. If you're a guest with us today, just so you know what we're doing, we're in a series called Aliens. It's a study, an in-depth study of this letter the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians in the early church, explaining to them that because of their faith in Christ, uh, because of their reverence for God, because of their de- desire to obey God, that they were going to be sometimes misunderstood by their culture and viewed as a strange and alien people. Uh, he writes about how through faith in Jesus, God's grace changes things. It changes us from the inside out, and our lives display that change every day. When Peter wrote the letter, not only were Christians experiencing trials that were common to everyday life, but on top of that, they were suffering religious persecution inflicted on them by the unjust brutality of Nero, uh, the emperor of Rome. And because of all that was happening around him, Peter makes suffering a major theme in his letter. And as we saw last week in chapter 4, he had a lot to say about suffering. Uh, But as he begins his fifth and final chapter here, Peter takes what seems to be, at least at first, an unexpected turn and shifts his attention to the topic of leadership. In fact, some people see this as really a bit odd and somewhat out of place, but I'm not not sure I agree with that. I mean, consider Peter's train of thought here. He's been talking about suffering since uh, early in chapter 1, and he ends chapter 4 writing this, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves uh, to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And I I don't know about anyone else, but for me, it seems that this this next topic of discussion makes a lot of sense. In a way, Peter is saying, you know, look, when suffering happens to Christians, in whatever shape, way, or form, when it happens to you, when life gets hard, when living in a hostile culture gets chaotic and confusing, when, when our vision for ministry gets cloudy, the church needs good leaders, and not just good ones, trust, but trusted and godly ones, leaders we can count on for help, hope, and direction. I mean, let's face it, poor and unreliable leadership is a problem in any organization. If your senior officer uh, is incompetent in battle, if your head coach lacks a game plan, if your clergy is immoral, if your CEO steals from the company, you know, the consequences can be disastrous. And uh, Peter, recognizing this, recognizing the importance of good leadership, writes this to the church, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock, that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. We're going to talk about that in a second, but first let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for the day that you've given us, the beauty of it, a reminder of your goodness and grace. We celebrate it, we enjoy it, uh, we give thanks for it. And in the moments that we have here together, I pray that you would, you would remove from our minds those things that would distract us from hearing what is true, and that... Um, you would help us to listen carefully to what you have to say through your word today. Teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, leadership is a very, um, very popular word these days. 
it rolls off our tongues as though its meaning is widely agreed on and easily defined. According to a recent survey I saw, there are more than 15,000 books on leadership currently in print. Add to that the number of articles written, DVDs produced, seminars, webinars offered, and it's not hard to see how this topic, this idea of being a leader is a, is a vital and abiding topic of interest within our society. But what, what is leadership? And there are a lot of definitions, uh, and here's my best shot at one. In terms, in general terms, leadership is an ongoing process of social influence that maximizes the efforts of others towards the achievement of a common goal. Now, that definition is really a compilation of many definitions that I've seen over the years, but for me, at least for me, it's, I think it says, pretty much says it all in addressing what leadership means in any organization, including the local church. But it's one thing to say what leadership is. It's another to describe how it looks in practical terms within an organization. And essentially, that is what, that is what the Apostle Peter does for us in the opening verses of chapter 5. He describes what leadership looks like, or at least what it should look like, in the local church. Now, here's the deal. Peter specifically directs his comments to the primary New Testament leadership position in the first century church. But ultimately what he says here can and should appropriately be applied to any level or any degree of leadership. Because clearly Peter's insight relates not just to those in an official position, but to anyone, any Christian who finds him or herself in a place of spiritual influence. So keeping that in mind, the first thing that Peter does is that he establishes what I would call the standard of leadership. He writes, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. And the Greek, now the Greek term we translate uh, elder here means, it means old man. And in scripture, the term is used literally in reference to a person's age, but it's also used throughout scripture figuratively in regard to one's maturity, wisdom, experience. Uh, in the New Testament, the term gets specifically applied to those in the church who had an established track record of, uh, of moral integrity, faithfulness, wisdom, goodness. Uh, people, people didn't become leaders by becoming elders. They became elders by being identified as godly leaders. These people were not perfect uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but according to the Apostle Paul's description, they were blameless. In other words, unaccused of wrongdoing. They were not overbearing. They were not quick-tempered or given to addiction. They were not violent, but instead they were hospitable. They loved what was good, so they were self-controlled, disciplined. They held firm to Jesus and to his gospel of grace. They were able to explain it. They were able to defend it. Notice how Peter uses the term elder in the plural, uh, the assumption being that no one person can run a church. There's always a plurality uh, of leaders in New Testament congregation. Congregations In the Old Testament, the writer of Proverbs says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And this, this, this wisdom, this principle of plurality gets applied to the church. So the standard of, of biblical leadership is a plurality of recognized spiritually mature individuals. Then, then comes the posture of leadership, which is humility. And this is something that's often overlooked in the text, but check out how Peter identifies himself as what? As a fellow elder. 
not apostle, not Lord Bishop or anything like that, but as a fellow elder. In a way, he's saying to other church leaders, hey, look, I'm just like you. I'm no better than anybody else. Which is not exactly the way that I would describe Peter, a guy who spent three years with Jesus, who was head of the Jerusalem church, who authored at least two New Testament books. But to be honest about it, I see Peter as much more significant than other leaders, but that's not how he presents himself. That's not how he sees himself. Neither does he demand anything of these leaders. He doesn't pull rank or, or, or press authority when, when addressing them. He simply appeals to their sense of what is right and what is good. He says, hey, I, I'm just appealing to you as fellow leaders. And I'm a guy who just happened to personally witness the sufferings of Jesus. And I watched him. I watched him not step on others to advance himself, but suffer and lay down his life so others could rise up. I heard Jesus explain how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them by using their power and authority to arrogantly control people. Jesus said, I've come to change that. The new posture of leadership is this, genuine humility. Jesus put it this way, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Peter, Peter had a firsthand experience with the greatest leader who ever walked the earth, Jesus, whose approach to leadership was not one of arrogant entitlement, but of humility. And so Peter, Peter demonstrates the same thing. And he calls, he calls not only leaders, but throughout the, throughout the, the letter, he's been calling every Christian to follow the example of Jesus. And I like, how, I like how the Apostle Paul puts it when he writes to the church. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then in verse 2, Peter goes on to write about the responsibility of leadership. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them. And the term for shepherd here is actually a verb. So more literally translated, Peter says to leaders, shepherd God's flock, which... I find fascinating because, because Peter was a fisherman. He knew how to fish. I mean, he, he knew how to find the fish, net the fish, pull them into the boat. But, but fishermen, you see, fishermen don't take care of fish. They either fillet them or sell them, right? So why is a fisherman using the analogy of shepherding? Or the, maybe the bigger question is, how would he know anything about caring for sheep? And the answer is, is simple. He spent three years with the good shepherd. Peter was with Jesus when he heard Jesus declare, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so from my perspective, really the only way for this professional fisherman to explain the responsibilities of good shepherding, the only way he could do that is because is he saw it done. In fact, in verse 4, Peter refers to Jesus as what? As the chief shepherd. It was a title that carries the idea of, of being the greatest ever. And, uh, and so Peter takes what he learned from Jesus, the, the, the chief shepherd, and he applies it to church leadership. And he says, those who shepherd, take care of and watch out for the flock of God. What's, in, what's involved with that? Well, it involves a number of things. It involves feeding the sheep. In other words, leaders are to make sure the flock is nourished from the youngest to the oldest. And how is that done in the local church? It's done through the teaching of Scripture. 
And keep in mind, Jesus, the chief shepherd, said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so church leaders, on any level, are responsible to ensure that God's people, men, women, children, students, are being fed what they need to live and to grow and to serve and to thrive. The word of God. Shepherding includes protecting the sheep. In the Old Testament, King David uh, was originally a shepherd as a, as a young man, uh, but because he had this poetic, artistic side to him, sometimes I think we imagine him as a, as a more passive, reserved, contemplative, timid guy. But that is not the case. In fact, when preparing himself to confront Goliath, you know, the, the great Philistine warrior, you remember what happened? He said, David said, because no one else would go out, David said to King Saul, I'll go. And he said, look, when I, was a she- when I was shepherding my father's flock, lions and bears would attack the sheep, and when they did, I'd kill them. And then he says this, so bring on this uncircumcised Philistine who threatens the people of God. I'm going to mess him up. That's the Hebrew, original Hebrew. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess him up the same way I did with lions and bears. No problem. Bring him on. Here's my point. David was a shepherd, but he wasn't soft. And that's true of all shepherds in the ancient Near East, even today in that region of the world. I've been there. I've seen the terrain. I've seen what they have to put up with. Shepherds aren't a bunch of passive, indecisive, weak, retiring people. On the contrary, they're tough. They have to be. At times they have to fiercely engage that which threatens the flock. The same is true when it comes to being a leader in the church. Shepherding isn't always about being gentle, meek, and mild. Sometimes it requires being assertive, decisive, bold, courageous, even confrontational. It means protecting sheep. From what? From heresy, error, lack of nourishment, immorality, lack of direction, slander, division, any number of things. You know, I think of Jesus For him, you know, shepherding included knocking over tables and confronting greed and corruption in the temple. It meant speaking bluntly to those who were religiously conceited. It meant warning those who were divisive. It meant sharing truth with those living contrary to what God says is right and good and healthy and best for us. It involved casting vision. And ultimately, for Jesus, it meant laying down his life for the good of the sheep. So, When it comes to shepherding, get the idea of softness out of your head. Because the last thing that God wants for his flock is weak, indecisive, anemic, fearful, fickle shepherds. Because then what? Because then the flock is at risk. Risk of a certain lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. The enemy that Peter will address here in chapter 5. So feeding, protecting, the third responsibility of shepherding is guiding. The 23rd Psalm is one most people recognize, probably one of the most famous. It begins with these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Why is that? Does the psalmist say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, because I tell him where to go, tell him what to do, how to do it, when to do it. No. The psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, because he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me 
along the right paths. Here's my Reiki summary. Good shepherds take the lead. They don't tie the sheep up and drag them along. They don't beat them with sticks, but they do guide them. And the reason the sheep follow, at least most of them, is because the shepherd has established him or herself as being trustworthy, faithful, diligent. The sheep know that the shepherd has their welfare in mind and that the shepherd cares for them, which is a responsibility as well. And caring means gathering the lost. It means picking up the fallen. It means helping the weak, you know, standing up for the marginalized, making sure the hurt and wounded are attended to. All of this, all of this, Peter says, is the responsibility of leadership in the church. And then he says, here's the reason for it. Here's the reason for leadership. Here's why leaders feed, protect, guide, and care for the sheep. Because we're talking about God's flock. We're talking about caring for what belongs to God himself. The church. And the church and every, every person in it is precious to God. When the Apostle Paul addressed leaders in the Ephesian church, he said this. He said, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, shepherd the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He bought with his own blood. I mean, need I say more about the value of the church in the eyes of God? Probably not. But since we're here, I will. Because Jesus said this to his followers, and this is, this is fascinating to me. He said this to the disciples. He said, you know, this leadership thing is serious business. And he says, so if you, if you take it on, if you cause someone to stumble, if you lead them astray, if you mess up somehow, if you, if you abuse them, Jesus said, it would be better for you to be thrown in the sea with a giant millstone tied around your neck. He said that to the disciples. And that, that was a serious warning. I mean, under, but understand, the reason for it, the reason why good, godly leadership is so critical is because the church is precious to the one who graciously bought and redeemed her with his own blood. And so, so we've got the standard, the posture, the responsibility to reason. Now here's the motive of leadership ending in verse 2. He says that leadership, you, you lead not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You get what, you get what Peter's implying here? Uh, he, he's saying that some people have wrong motives for being a leader. First, he says, you don't do it because you're forced to do it. The, ter the Greek term that we translate because you must is a rare one, and it carries the idea of compulsion, of being squeezed or being pressured into something. And Peter says, you don't, you don't accept leadership out of guilt or, or, or coercion, but, because, but you do so because God has given you certain gifts of leadership that have been recognized and affirmed by others. And so when you're asked to lead, you do so willingly for God's sake and the sake of his people. Peter says leadership isn't to be motivated by greed or dishonest gain because that's going to be problematic. You know, one of, one of the parts of leadership in the church, and there's just no way around it, one of, the, one of the aspects of leadership involves stewardship and the managing of money. And so a person better make sure their motives aren't financially driven if they're in leadership. 
Let me tell you something. Whenever I read in the paper or hear in the news about a church leader who is exposed for, quote-unquote, fleecing the flock, you know, mismanaging money, refusing accountability, stealing funds, misusing funds to satiate their own, their own, their own selfish appetites, it, it makes me sick because it damages the reputation of Christianity, the reputation of Jesus himself. But it's nothing new, really. I mean, in the, in the days of the early church, there was a really very greedy and dishonest couple named Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know if you remember their story. But according to Acts chapter 5, one day Ananias came in and um, he lied to Peter about his resources, about his giving, about his generosity. And Peter knew he was lying. And Peter rebuked him in front of everyone. And the dude dropped dead. And... Uh, uh, three hours later, according to Luke, three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what happened to her husband, but she was on board with the whole plan, and she lied, too, about their resources, their giving, their generosity. And this is what Peter said to her. He said, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out as well. And she dropped that. Every now and then, someone will say to me, man, we need to get back to being the first century church. <laughs> And I always think when I hear that, like, seriously, uh, you better be careful what you wish for because here's the deal. I suspect a lot of people in the church lie about their resources and their giving and their generosity. And the fact is personal greed holds them back in generosity, thus hampering the mission of the church. Just like Ananias and Sapphira. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. They weren't leaders. They weren't leaders. And according to Scripture, leaders, God holds leaders to a higher level of accountability. But overall, I think Peter's making the point that leader or not, as a Christian, life shouldn't be about what you can get, but about what you can give. The problem we face today in Western culture and, and Western Christianity is this an overwhelming sense of consumerism and entitlement, one that permeates the culture and has undeniably infected the flock, and not just leaders, but most of the sheep. Because today, people approach the church asking, how can the church serve me? How, how can the church, what does the church have to give to me and to my family, to offer me, to do for me, to program for me, to humor me, to gratify me? That's the question. But don't you see how that flies in the very face of who Jesus is and what he has called us to? I mean, once you become a follower of Christ, once you experience the love and grace of God, it changes us. And life should be becoming less and less about what you can get and more about what you can graciously give in return so others experience the same love and grace. That brings us to the next wrong motive. Leadership isn't about gaining authority. Peter's notion of lording it over people has to do with power trip issues. And being a leader in the church isn't about getting power. It's not about control or bossing around or dominating people. It's about humble servanthood. 
The Apostle Paul reminded Christians of this when he wrote a letter to them. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, wasn't on a power trip. Instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Translation, as Christians, good leadership isn't about power. It's about serving others. Recently, a group of organizational psychologists have been studying the, 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 the whole idea of serv- servant leadership and its impact on, especially in the business world, its impact on companies and organizations. And the lead researcher's name is Adam Grant. And in his New York Times bestseller, Give and Take, that was published last year, 2013, Grant suggests this, that servant leaders are not only more highly regarded than others by their employees and not only feel better about themselves at the end of the day, but are more productive as well. His thesis of the book is, servant leaders are the beneficiaries of important relationships, information, and insights that make them more effective and productive in what they do, even though they spend a great deal of their time sharing what they learn and helping others. Listen, the effectiveness of servant leadership may be something relatively new uh, to, the, to those in the business world, but it should be nothing new to us in the church. It's been around 2,000 years. Jesus modeled it every single day. And we're called to follow that example. Another thing about leadership is that um, it can't be motivated by a desire for popularity. It has to be motivated by a desire to please God and to do what is right. Now, I've told you before, leadership isn't all it's cracked up to be. Uh, it's, It's hard being a leader because there are tough decisions that have to be made. There are challenging words that need to be spoken. There are new directions that need to be set, steps of faith taken. And the most painful lesson of leadership is this. Not everybody is going to agree with you or even like you. And uh, I've had to learn that over the years, 20-some years of being a pastor. In fact, in my early days, I was at a retirement dinner for a pastor. who had been in ministry like 50 years and had this panel, and they asked him a question. They said... um, they said, so tell us, what's the hardest lesson you've learned in leadership as being a pastor? You know what he said? I expected some big, I, I don't know what I expected, but he said, this is the lesson I've learned. Your best friend one, one minute can be your next, can be your worst enemy the next. And I'm like, really? But it's true. Leadership isn't about popularity. Sometimes you have to make tough decisions and not everybody agrees or likes it. In his book, Christian Leadership, well-known pastor and author A.W. Tozer writes, a pastor, when facing his congregation on Sunday morning, dare not think of the effect his sermon may have on his job, his salary, or his future relation to the church. Let him but worry about tomorrow, and he becomes a hireling and no true shepherd of the sheep. Now, I got to tell you, I have no interest in being a hireling. And uh, I recognize leadership in the church isn't about popularity. As hard as that is to accept, it's not about popularity. It's, it's about doing, saying and doing what I believe is, is, is right before God no matter what. My focus, and really the focus of any Christian leader at any, in any capacity, must be on obeying God and desiring His good pleasure, not the pleasure of everybody around you. In verse 4, Peter says, Here, here's why you need to make sure your motives are right, because there's going to be judgment of leadership. He writes, 
when the chief shepherd appears, all you under shepherds, elders, deacons, pastors, leaders of all kinds, he says, you're going to receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's the idea of reward and judgment. And who is the chief shepherd? The chief shepherd is the one who owns the flock. None of us leaders own it. None of us were humiliated for anyone. None of us took a beating or were nailed to a cross for the sins of humanity. None of us shed our blood for anybody. Jesus did that. And so he is the chief shepherd. And a day is coming when leaders in the church will stand before him and he's going to ask, did you follow my example? Did you treat my sheep well? Did you love them, feed them, protect them, care for them, guide them? And make no mistake about it, leadership in the church in whatever capacity is a big deal to God. Which is why James writes the church and says, not many of you should presume to be leaders or teachers because you know that we who teach and lead will be judged more strictly. Why? Because you've taken on the task of caring for what's eternally important to God, his people, the flock he loves and values beyond anything that we can imagine. With that said, anybody want to be a leader? <laughs> Scripture says anyone who does, anyone who aspires to be a leader, aspires to a good thing and a noble task. Just make sure, though, you understand that as a Christian, the standard is spiritual maturity, the posture is humility, the responsibilities are numerous, your reason must be clear, your motives kept in check, and you know that judgment's coming. And never forget, Jesus gave his life for us, the church. So if you take on leadership, do it well and honorably. God expects nothing less. And if we do, then in the end, as leaders like Peter and Paul, we can say with integrity and before God and to those around us, follow our example as we follow the example of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I think we all recognize that this concept of leadership is um, a popular one in our culture. It's, it's a topic discussed, written about, talked about. Um, all the time. Um, and depending on who you're speaking with, the definition is giving and given. And for some people, leadership is all about power. For others, leadership is all about title. For some, um, leadership is about gaining an advantage over others. Help us to understand that is not your definition of leadership. And that Jesus has come and demonstrated what it means to be your kind of leader. It's about humility. It's about serving. It's about strength. Um, it's about integrity. It's about caring for others more than we care about ourselves. And ultimately for Jesus, it was about giving his life for the sheep. And so I, I pray, Lord, for, for each and every person here in the room, we're all leaders at some capacity. We all have some spiritual influence over someone in our lives. And so with that leadership role comes responsibility to live in such a way to serve them and to point them to you, the God who loves them and who has graciously offered to give them life everlasting. 
And so may all of us as your people today commit ourselves to follow Jesus' example and to lead others to him. I ask this in his name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? So hopefully you understand, if you've been around Parkview long enough, you're going to hear me say it. Being a Christian isn't about being as good as Jesus. You know, trying to be as good as Jesus, as if that's somehow going to earn your way into heaven. That's religion. Religion says you've got to work your way in. It's debilitating. It's disappointing because no one can do it. Christianity is about the grace of God. Jesus came to offer us the life we could never live, died the death we, we deserve to die, and by grace offer us forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Embracing him, embracing that, that, that offer of that gracious offer of life, that's what it means to be a Christian. The idea of following him is the idea of, look, God knows what's right and best for us, and we believe that. He has our best in mind, and so we follow after him um, because we trust him. And, and that's what this is all about. And I hope you guys understand that. Uh, I realize, you know, Peter, we're, in ch- the end of, we're at chapter 5. We have a couple more weeks to go and we'll be done with the letter. But throughout the letter, he's talked about suffering and difficulties that we face in life. And maybe, maybe you're going through some of those things right now. And uh, maybe it's been a hard week for you. Uh, maybe you're, you've been sick or, or whatever. Following the service, some of our prayer team folks will be down front. They're here for you. Come and talk with them. Pray with them. Maybe you have a question about... Christianity. Maybe you're in a leadership position some, somewhere and you're struggling to understand how to be a better leader for that person, especially as you represent Jesus. Come and they can pray for you as well. Okay? I hope you have a great week, uh, rest of the weekend. Don't forget those who've gone before us and have given their lives so that we can be here this morning freely, worshiping the God who loves us. Let me pray for you. And now, Lord, I pray that we, as we go our own way, Uh, as we exit the the building here, as we go out into the world, to our lives, to our friends and family, to our jobs, schools, uh, that we would go recognizing that we all have a leadership role to play in somebody's life. And so may we do that well. May we do it humbly. May we do it in such a way that we point them to you, that they might experience your love and grace in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.